digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is Mr. Will the Thrill. And to that, I say greetings and salutations. Oh, that was a good one. What were you drinking? This is one from, <laughs> hearkening back to our previous subject, this one came very close to Neverland Ranch. This is the Figueroa Mountain Brewing Company, Danish Red Lager. Um, yeah, we're, we're still going to do that episode. We promise about oh, yeah. it's coming. Michael Jackson. It's just, we, we've been busy. I, I need sleep. I'm tired. I'm tired. And this one came from that. What's that fun little town? Los Olivos. Los Olivos. Right? Yep. Yes. That's yep. where they are. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And our storyteller today, who is closing out his series on Tammy Wynette, which is weird because it's only been three episodes. So what do you have to say for yourself, Mr. TJ2, the deuce? That's what I have to say. It just sounds like you're peeling off the lid of a yogurt cup. <sighs> Maybe no, he's having um, I, I'm working with a theme today. This is from uh, Sycamore, and in honor of the person whom we're doing this episode on, I am enjoying a Southern Girl Blonde. Nice. Oh, very nice. See very what I did there? Because nice. yes. Tammy was from Mississippi, and she was blonde. Well done. Well done. Yes. Um, okay. I'm, I don't do this often, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that uh, you know, Will has a drink, and I have one, and given the content to come, you listening at home, you might want to have one. Oh, no. Take a little edge off. You threw out a warning there, TJ, saying this is "quote crochy level of depressing." Mm-hmm. Should oh, we yeah. uh, should we actually put any kind of warning on the front for little ears or sensitive nature well, or anything? Y- well, yeah, we we, we do have uh, substance abuse and domestic violence in this one. Okay. So, so if that's a thing that bothers people. Then this is perhaps not the the episode for them. Yeah, and guys, we completely get it if if you choose to tune out. Um, you know, it, it's been it's been a week. Uh, that's all I'm gonna say. But it's been a week, so if uh, right. if you don't want a multitude of other depressing things that happened several years ago, then you need to tune into our slob nuts. Check out, make sure to check out all the the slob nuts because those are full of fun. Yeah, this today it's it's darker than a chocolate covered eight ball floating in a tar pit. Wow. Oof. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's not. There's not. There's not a lot of sunshine and mirth. There hasn't been in this series in general, and this this is the worst of the bunch, frankly. Jeez, we built up to it. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess on on that note, uh, Will, would you like to talk about our sponsor? I absolutely will, uh, and I'd like to talk about Better Help who was kind enough to sponsor this podcast and help people out wherever they are. Let's face it, we could all use a little help. We spend a lot of time working on our careers, trying to push forward. But let me ask you this question. When was the last time you stopped and thought about your mental health? If you're anything like me, it was way too long ago. And by that time, it was getting kind of scary. I was doing all that stuff that we mentioned, working out, doing my job, trying to get ahead. But at the end of the day, something wasn't adding up. I was convinced that something was wrong with me. I had to talk to somebody. I didn't know where to go. Plus, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. That certainly didn't make anything better. 
What I found out was that many people can feel disconnected about the world that they're in and having someone to talk to can make all the difference. That's where BetterHelp came in to change my life. Yes, I'm a BetterHelp customer. BetterHelp allows you to get the specific help you need for whatever is eating away at you. They will ask you targeted questions, set you up with the right therapist where you can talk about anything you want. As LD mentioned, there's a lot of things on our episode that we cover are big, heavy topics. Sometimes you need help with those. Sometimes you just need to talk about something small. Whatever the case, better help is there for you. They will get you a counselor to meet your needs. It's simple. You can do it from the access of your home. And by signing up, you can talk to that licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. It's a game changer for me, for millions of others. And that's why we are proud to have BetterHelp sponsoring this podcast. In fact, you can get a special offer by listening to us. That's right. If you go to BetterHelp, you can enter our 10% off code to take 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp. What's that code, you ask? It's Rock heaven. So again, go to betterhelp.com slash rock heaven. And that way you can get a start with the help that you need in your life. Better help, better life. Awesome. All right. So uh, we just want to dive right into the episode. So Mr. T, take it away. Here we go. All righty. Now, in the first two parts of our series on Tammy Wynette, we've often told you that she sang about her life and that life often played out like a sad country song for her. Of course, some songs can be interpreted more than one way or can actually have more than one meaning. As we move into the last 20 years of her life, that will hold true for Tammy. Rumor often replaces fact, theories take the place of documented events, and there will be at least two versions of almost every story that we tell you. So when we last left, Tammy had just filed for divorce from country superstar uh, George Jones, her third husband. Now, they made beautiful music together, literally, with a string of big-selling duet albums and singles, but they didn't do so figuratively. George drank very heavily, and per Tammy, he was abusive and liked to play with guns, which is something that George denied. But she also had two surgeries, which would beget many more operations in the years ahead, and that unfortunately had brought painkillers into her life, something that would be present for years. They were split up in real life, but the two were still working together. They remained on the road together, which I'm sure wasn't awkward at all for the newly divorced couple who parted under the circumstances I just cited. Oh, yeah. No, I'd be like super excited. Honestly, though, it can be done because it was Jennifer Carpenter and was it C. Michael Hall or Michael C. Hall? I I can never. Dexter. Yeah, Dexter and Mm. uh, his on the show, they play brother and sister, adopted brother and sister. But they married in real life and then divorced in real life, uh, but were apparently very professional during the show. Like it took them, they, they met, they married, and they divorced all during the run of the show. That's going to say well, it was all during Dexter. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that, but you know, that, that sometimes that friction can create some great art. I mean, just uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Right. I mean, rumors yeah. is basically we all hate each other and we're breaking up. <laughs> and yeah. it's that could have been the title of rumors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it could have also. He's an a hole, and I hate him. Well, you also got to throw in the. Uh, also, we snort eight pounds of cocaine a day. Correct. There is also that. <laughs> Incorrect. So... It was nine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm I'm sure that wasn't awkward at all. Uh, now, fans had really bought into the idea that they were country royalty and lived an idyllic, romantic fairy tale of a life, but now they were eating up the salacious tabloid nature of their breakup too. George was clearly still in love and would remain so for some time. In later years, in concert, he would change the lyrics of his song, 
if drinking doesn't kill me, her memory will, to Tammy's memory will. Aw. Oof. Singer Lori Morgan, who knew both very well, said she believed they were still in love despite all that happened. We're also right about the period when George would unfortunately add cocaine to his repertoire, which already contained a frightening level of alcohol consumption. He would become increasingly unreliable in terms of showing up for shows or recording sessions, which would earn him the nickname No Show Jones. Sorry, that is kind of a, a clever nickname. It is. It is. And and uh, and apparently it's not like, you know, a fat dude named Slim or a bald guy named Curly. <laughs> like, it, he, like he just didn't show up much. <laughs> so he'd was be booked. Out. He'd be booked and then just never be there. <laughs> right. Oh wow. Um, okay. The the divorced couple released an album in 1976 called Golden Ring, the title track of which we actually heard at the end of our last episode. Whereas their previous albums contained songs about perfect love and romance, these dealt with heartbreak, hunk, uh, loneliness, disappointment, and separation. This album produced two big number one hits in the title track and with Near You, but I want to do a minor bit of deep uh, deep cut digging to start off uh, uh, the music portion of the proceedings. One of the songs on this album pretty well summarizes where they were as a couple. So this is George Jones and Tammy Wynette with a cover of the Buck Owens classic, Crying Time. Oh, nice. Oh, it's crying time again. You're gonna leave me. I can see that far away look in your eyes. I can tell by the way you hold me, darling, darling, that it won't be long before it's crying time. Now they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder And the tears are only right to make love go Well, my love for you could never grow no stronger, baby If I live to be 100 years old Oh, it's crying time again you're gonna leave me I can see that far away look in your eyes I can tell by the way you hold me darling darling that it won't be long before it's crying time now you say that you found someone you love better that's the way it's happened every time before and as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow crying time will start when you walk out the door oh it's crying time again you're gonna leave me I can see that far away look in your eyes I can tell by the way you hold me, darling, darling That it won't be long before it's crying time No, it won't be long before it's 
George and Tammy with the cover of uh, Buck Owens's Crying Time. What y'all think? Uh, that that triggers memories for me. That triggers memories for me. Really? Yeah. We used to go skiing at this. We called it the chalet, but it was really just a trailer parked somewhere in Vermont in the 70s that nobody ever moved. Mm-hmm. And it was me, my two friends, their father and their uncle. Uh, God, what was his name? Uh, he would just show up whether he wanted him to or not. But um, that place had no Santa? running water. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, Uncle Walter, Uncle Walter. And uh, it had no running water. It had an outhouse. And the only entertainment was a deck of cards, a tape deck, and Golden Ring was one of the four tapes that was in this tape deck that still worked. The others were (laughs) Hank Snow, the Statler Brothers. The Statlers. Yeah, a Golden Ring. I can't remember the other one, but yeah, this one takes me back to the the chalet. Oh, wow. I didn't know they had rednecks in Vermont. That's interesting. It's a different kind of redneck. Oh, they got got rednecks everywhere. Rednecks are everywhere. Dif- different kinds and slightly different accents than where i live but different uh, vintage yeah yep and uh I, I really like that one um it's really hard to beat uh buck owens and don rich harmonizing on anything yep. like anything because that's <laughs> their voices were so locked in and awesome but that's really good that kind of tells a story about where they were at this point so now once tammy and uh george jones ended their tour tammy was on her own at this point she had dozens of massive hits she had sold millions of records and had a very large and very loyal fan base. Still, the old insecurities reared their head. She told one friend she was nervous to go out without Jones, asking, quote, who will come see just me? Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. But as big a star as she was, she had confidence issues, and she had never really mounted a big, full-fledged tour by herself. She never had to be the main attraction, and truthfully, she did not put on a very high-energy stage show at that point. I saw one review that said she stood as still and stiff as if the dress she was wearing was still on the hanger. Her friend Dolly Parton said she always marveled that Tammy could stand totally still, quote, like a statue and belt out the notes she did. Quote, I could not believe that all that voice and all that sound was coming out of a person standing totally still. I think, how is she doing that? It seems like you'd have to lean into your body or bow down into it, or something to get all that out. I've never seen anything like it to this day. I was in awe of her. I thought she was one of the greatest voices of all times. That's from Dolly? That's from Dolly, a very close friend. She was also dealing with an increasing dependence on painkillers, unfortunately. Not long after she and Jones divorced, per the BBC documentary I've, I've previously referenced, she ended up in the hospital and nearly died of an accidental overdose. She claimed it was not her intention to harm herself in any way, but simply to go to sleep while gripped with agonizing pain that would unfortunately become a bigger and bigger part of her life. Her first order of business, once she was on her own, was to put together a band and hit the road. She hired four members of the famed Gatlin family and her entourage of 13 packed into one tour bus and crisscrossed America. Front and center with her name at the top of the bill for the very first time, Tammy started to thrive. She moved around the stage a bit more and she would offer, uh, often saunter down to the crowd, find a man sitting on the front row, plop down in his lap and sing Stand By Your Man directly into his face. (laughs) She didn't hide her emotions on stage either, uh, as she would sometimes get so emotional during songs, she would have to step away from the microphone 
And the figurative tear in her voice often manifested itself as literal ones on her cheeks. She would actually start crying in the middle of songs. Not surprisingly, her fans, a large percentage of which were working class women, loved every second of it. In one sense, she was one of them, but in another, they still put her on a pedestal. Her staff said they got a ton of fan mail, with many bordering on obsessive in calling the star, quote, Our Lady Tammy, as though she was royalty or perhaps a religious figure of some kind. <laughs> in the same way she was blossoming as an on stage performer, she was also doing so as a single woman. She started dating a member of her band, that being Rudy Gatlin. She was 33 at the time, and he was 24. Her daughter, Jackie, said, quote, I think those were the happiest times of her life. She cared very much about Rudy Gatlin. At the same time, though, Tammy also became a major piece of tabloid fodder because she began dating Burt Reynolds. Oh, I mean, what's up, she Smokey? met on a talk show. I mean, here's the thing. I, I think probably about this time that picture of him had already come out where he's like, you know, in the buff on that rug. So, girl, I get it. You mean where he's basically like, I'm Burt Reynolds and you're not? I'm Burt Reynolds and you're not? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty I much. know a little French. You're an ass fight. <laughs> Pardon my French. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Norm, we miss you. It's, there was one story about her actually hiding out in his dressing room at an award show to avoid being seen by the press and by Dinah Shore, whom he was dating at the time. Uh-oh. Oh, my. Yeah, her family said that Bert was very kind to her and very gentlemanly and that she loved being with him. She was enjoying success on stage and in life and had a big hit song to match. This is a song that Tammy co-wrote. It would be her 15th number one country hit, she cited it as a favorite of hers, and it seemed appropriate because she was making it on her own. This is Tammy Wynette. Going to hear another one from her, a song called Till I Can Make It On My Own. I'll need time to get you Tell 
And I'm just waiting on you to play something super depressing, man. <laughs> I was, was sad, yeah. I was told this is gonna be sad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think later we have her covering shiny happy people or something. Will that the uh... <laughs> Mad no, World? Not really. <laughs> She's got Mad World by right. Gary Jules. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. So that was uh Tammy with Till I Can Make It On My Own, a song she co-wrote, and one that became her fifteenth number one hit. 15 so she's really earning the first lady of country moniker completely oh, yeah. absolutely Good now for her. we just painted a picture of tammy enjoying her life and career but you've probably noticed by now that every time things seem to be going well for her something comes along to temper that for starter uh, for starters reynolds said tammy quote didn't think she had anything to offer and she couldn't have been more wrong she was the whole package Tammy herself said, quote, my neck's too long, my nose has a hump in it, my boobs are too saggy, and the kids all call me weenie butt because I have no rear end. <laughs> <laughs> That's not That's the meanest so, thing people have called so people. So descriptive. Weenie butt. Would you have ever called mama weenie butt? <laughs> no, because she would have probably put me on restriction or whooped my ass. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the two or both. Yeah. See, I never got grounded. I got put on restriction right um so by this time people had also started to critique how celebrities dressed and she got some negative attention on that front yes, dolly parton explained uh explained it away as saying the way she dressed reflected quote a country girl's idea of glamour and that both of them got their clothes from fifth and park quote as in the fifth trailer in the park <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing dude okay can i just tell you dolly is just a goddess on about 500 different levels, but we saw her in concert and just the the stuff that she came up with off the fly was just brilliant. National treasure. Literal national treasure. Did we? Absolutely. No, no question. Now, all that though paled in comparison to what was to come next. Tammy started to get phone calls at her Nashville home, often in clusters of a dozen or more in the middle of the night that were harassing. Whoever was making the calls would threaten to harm Tammy or her children. She and her kids came home on more than one occasion to find vandalism on their home. Someone put red X's on their front door and then on another occasion entered the house and wrote on mirrors and TV sets, including the word whore being written mm. in lipstick. That's incredibly creepy. That is. Very, extremely. And things escalated from there. In May of 1976, Tammy and Rudy Gatlin came to her house after a night out at the movies to find it was on fire jesus whoa so this is the second series in a row i've done where someone had their their house set on fire because tom petty had his house that set happened on to fire, tom right? as well. yeah correct the fire department determined that the blaze had been intentionally set and they found three separate points of ignition jeez finally our family members speculated that whoever was behind the threats and vandalism and arson was likely someone who knew Tammy, but no arrest was ever made. 
At this point, Tammy apparently suffered another self-inflicted wound. She really cared for Rudy Gatlin, and her relationship with Reynolds seemed to be a very good one with the two truly caring for one another, but Tammy up and got married to a Nashville real estate developer named Michael Tomlin. Daughter Tina said, quote, it was a surprise. I don't think she really knew him. They, in fact, had been out on three dates when he proposed, wow. and she accepted. Per the A&E biography that I've mentioned a few times in the series, Tomlin, quote, took her for a financial ride, but they did not elaborate on, on what exactly he did. And the union between the two would last only 44 days before uh, Tammy filed for an annulment while charging Tomlin with, quote, cruel and inhumane treatment, which he denied. Tammy spent more than half of their short marriage in the hospital as her crippling pain and abdominal issues required three more surgeries. She also had to have a procedure to help deal with vocal nodules. Oh, see, that's, that's awful. Yeah. In a later interview, Tammy said she might have, quote, gone straight from the frying pan into the fryer, as in early 1978, she got married again for the fifth time to George Richardson. <clears throat> now, Richardson, whose stage name was George Ritchie, had known Tammy for years. He had been a co-writer with her on a number of hits, but said he wanted to take the relationship beyond the professional realm. He had known for some time that he was in love with her and a relationship did develop. The two wed in 1978, and this is where my earlier reference to stories having more than one side start to kick in. How happy she was and how joyful their union was is the subject of very much debate and largely dependent on who you choose to listen to and believe. The two presented themselves as a happy couple publicly. They did a joint uh, TV interview in the late 1980s in which they both said their relationship was a good one and they enjoyed their life together. They bought a large house in Nashville and named it First Lady Acres. Tammy, who continued to renew her beautician's license every year for the rest of her life, despite having now been a major star of country music for well over a decade, had a hair salon set up in the house along with a large crystal bowl that sat on a table filled with cotton that she picked herself from her old family farm. Aww. Richie said he was the closest thing Tammy's children had to a father. And when George Jones lived up to his no-show nickname when daughter Georgette was married, it was actually Richie who walked her down the aisle. Aww. However... Family members, friends, and even some of Tammy's band said that idyllic picture was a complete front that masked an abusive, controlling relationship. Just four months after their wedding, Tammy brought a fairly bizarre story to the press. She claimed she was kidnapped from the parking lot of a Nashville mall, transported to a rural spot 80 miles away, beaten and left in a field. Quote, he huh. took the gun in his left hand opened the door and pulled me out. We were in the middle of nowhere. I just thought, this is it, Tammy said in a televised interview. She had two black eyes and giant bruises on either cheek. Late music writer and historian Chet Flippo, who I can tell you a story about later, said many people looking at her picture in national newspapers said it looked like she had shoe polish on her cheeks. The police and even the FBI investigated, but no arrests were ever made. Now, a lot of people found it odd that someone would kidnap someone as prominent as Tammy Wynette and not rob her hold her for ransom, or just kill her. There was speculation at the time the whole thing was a publicity stunt. However, Tammy's daughter Jackie said the truth, as she claimed that her mother later told her, was actually worse than that. She said that Tammy told her that she and George Ritchie had an argument that turned violent. TV reporter Jennifer Krause flatly stated on CMT's Inside Fame that Ritchie had beaten Tammy. She had a string of concerts coming up in a few days, and she knew she would need an excuse as to why she had bruises on her face and black eyes. Wait. Ritchie denied the story and called it, quote, a joke to insinuate that he had harmed her. 
So wait, let me ask, did this actually happen or was it? Well, she did she he... did was found out in the middle of a field somewhere beaten up and she claimed that she was kidnapped from the parking lot of the mall. But her daughter, Jackie, said that she later confided to her that they cooked the whole story up to cover for the fact that, that George had beaten her. Okay. Yeah, that would not be the last he said, she said involving Richie. He very quickly took over Tammy's career, essentially becoming her manager. He himself gave two different versions of how that came to be. In one, he said Tammy had asked him to give up his career and take hers over. Then in another, he said that just before the two wed, he had decided to stop writing songs, sell his business interests, and enjoy spending time with his family. Then Tammy asked him to manage her career. Her career, in terms of touring, was still extremely successful. She kept a, as you'll see in a bit, probably too rigorous road schedule and played to packed houses every night. However, her success on the charts was starting to fade a bit. The last song we played you was Till I Can Make It On My Own, which hit number one in 1976. Later that same year, she hit number one again with You and Me, and that would be her final ever number one country hit. Oh, wow. Hey, everyone. Sorry to butt in, but we do have to take a brief break for, you know, the people that pay our bills, the sponsors. Okay, we're back. All right, we're back for more of The Life and Times of Tammy Wynette. In the next five years, she had just five top 10 solo hits and would have none in 1980 or 1981. Now, five top fives in five years would represent a great run for some people but it was a major slump for the first lady of country. In 1982, however, she released the well-received album Soft Touch and had a top 10 hit with the song Another Chance, which we're going to hear right now.
and we're back. All right, that's as close as we get to a jaunty tune, I think. Well, I was literally going to say, I was, gonna say that was a nice I, was, break. I was literally going to say that's a quite a jaunty tune, and I like jaunty tunes. So thank yeah, you for that. It was jaunty. I think I think jaunty is a good descriptive uh, uh, term for that. It is very good term. Ooh, sprightly. Sprightly, I is like good that. Sprightly's good. Yes, sprightly. Yes. Now, after another chance, which peaked at number eight on the country charts, Tammy would have only one more top ten country hit for the remainder of her career. That being a remake of Dan Hill's "Sometimes When We Touch," which she recorded in 1984, and which peaked at number six in early 1985. That same year saw the last hit for another venerable act. The song was Runner, which hit the pop top 40 for Manfred Mann's Earth Band. No! Wow. Well, I've got some Alka-Seltzer in my mouth. Do you want to do it? I'll do it. Should we do the NPR? Do the NPR. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. Stay tuned for a Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> On the road. Yes. <sighs> now, I laid out for you that Tammy wasn't having a lot of luck in terms of her solo work at this point, but she did have one big duet, and that came thanks to a fairly improbable reunion with George Jones. <sighs> her ex-husband was in truly pitiful shape at this point. He was gaunt from rarely eating and frequently drinking and snorting, and he would actually disappear for entire weeks on end where nobody knew where he was. He, in fact, said in his autobiography that, quote, I hated to work with her. It brought back too many unpleasant memories, and when some fans saw us together, they got it in their heads that we were going to get back together romantically. Given the state he was in, wallowing in regrets and bad memories probably wasn't especially healthy. And keep in mind that Tammy alleged that Jones was physically abusive and chased her through their house with a loaded gun prior to their split. I'm not sure whose idea it was for them to get together. Jones definitively said it was not him or why it seemed like a good idea to anybody. Still, they did release the album together again in 1980. We are jumping around a little bit here in terms of timeline. Uh, in the book, The Life and Times of a Honky Tonk Legend by Bob Allen, there's an account of a terribly ill-fated appearance the two made on The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson in 1980 to promote the album. He said that Jones had a hairdo thrown on him at the last moment by some image consultant that, quote, made him look like something off the set of Night of the Living Dead. Before they made it even, <laughs> before they made it even halfway through the song, Jones stopped singing <clears throat> and playing, looked at the camera, and, quote, confessed sheepishly to the vast live TV audience that he'd forgotten the words. Oh, the camera my God. pinned briskly away. The programmers broke for a dog food commercial, and the possum was seen no more that night. Mm. Now, oh, uh, Jessica Simpson did the same thing. Right. But so, sort of. She forgot the lyrics to nine to five, but she said it was because Dolly was sitting there looking at her. And she's like, who's yeah. not going to be nervous and forget the words? Yeah, that's fair. So it's like Garth Brooks and James Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah. happened in a dressing room, not in front of, you know, thousands of people. Still, but it's the pressure. <laughs> or, or in this case, the, 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 I mean, Johnny Carson, you're talking several million people, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure. <laughs> now, in Ken Burns's excellent 2019 documentary miniseries, Country Music, producer Billy Sherrill compared Jones and Wynette at this time to, quote, two 
wounded animals. Despite all the drama, the reunion, their last for 15 years, did produce one big memorable hit. Tammy co-wrote this one. It hit number two on the charts. It is she and George Jones on the song Two Story House. We always wanted a big two-story house Back when we lived in that little two-room shack We wanted fame and fortune And we lived life the way the rich folks do We knew somehow we'd make it Together, me and you With dreams and hopes of things to come We worked and never stopped Not much time for you and me We had to reach the top We bought that big two-story house And soon became the envy of town With all our work behind us We'd finally settle down Filled with rare antiques There's marble on the floor Beauty all around us Like we've never seen before There's chandeliers in every room Imported silks and satins all about We fill the house with everything But somehow left love out Now we live All right. That was George and Tammy with Two Story House. It's got a Randy Travis kind of feel to it, doesn't it? Kind of. Yeah, it did. Like a Three Rugged Crosses. Is it Three three Rugged Crosses? I was going to say Drunken Naked three, at the gas uh, station, wooden, but three that's it. Three, three Wooden Crosses. There you go. Sorry, I'm, I'm missing mixing my metaphors or mixing my building material. I guess. Yes. Okay. You're, yeah, you're yeah. a little off on your building materials there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's okay. It's 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 made out of siding. The three crosses are made out of siding. They're, they're made out of rebar or, or <laughs> PVC pipe or something. Um, in 1986, it finally became clear that Tammy needed help with her addiction to prescription drugs. According to family, she had always managed to square in her mind that what she was doing was fine since she was prescribed the medications. She also noted that taking them helped her deal with the very real pain that she suffered through and that taking them helped her get through shows, which her fans deserved and which show promoters didn't seem to mind. However, it was apparently also commonplace 
for her to fake injuries while on the road so she could go to emergency rooms and get pills. Ah. When her reputation on that front began to precede her, she began obtaining them through various other means. After being loopy and barely there during some concerts, though, she finally checked into the Betty Ford Center for treatment. Now, that might have helped had she not had to be taken to the hospital during her treatment for more surgery. So she never completed the program, and that unfortunately reset all the problems that she was dealing with. In 1988, per an article from UPI, Tammy had to file for bankruptcy to protect herself from a $900,000 judgment against her in favor of the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation. What? Right. Her attorney at the time said some investments Tammy and George Ritchie had in Florida were financed by Sunrise Savings and Loan, which failed. Their attorney, Ralph Gordon, was negotiating on the couple's behalf and said, quote, we were shocked when we found out this morning that rather than attempting to continue to negotiate the matter, a U.S. Marshal showed up to levy the house and property. The matter was eventually settled, but when the news broke, fans wrote to Tammy offering to give her money as though she was an actual family member. So it was it insurance fraud? That's what I'm trying to figure out. What is she? Con- I think we she- get it, it. There's a little more to the story. We'll oh, get okay. into it a okay, little bit it. later. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, back on the country charts, Tammy Swoon continued. I mentioned that she had a top 10 hit with a remake of Sometimes When We Touch in 1985. That was actually her last country top 10 hit. She had a pair of top 20 hits in 1987, but her last top 40 country hit came in 1988 with Beneath a Painted Sky, which topped out at number 25. The new country or young country, as some people called it, movement was in full swing and older acts were rapidly being purged from radio playlists. Like many older artists, Tammy, only in her mid-40s at the time, was a bit resentful of the treatment she was suddenly getting from radio, saying, quote, I didn't realize age had anything to do with talent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, you notice I have continually made it a point here in in the uh, last few minutes to say she was fading on the country charts. That's because she was very close to taking part in a very successful collaboration outside the world of country one of the truly strangest pairings in the history of music <laughs> new country was exploding in popularity but so were rap electronic and house music in the late 1980s two brits bill drummond aka king boy d and jimmy caudy aka Rockman rock actually formed a band called the justified ancients of moo or the there jams they, they just went they they the jams they went with the acronym or the Justified Ancients of Moo That was a name taken from the fictional conspiratorial group, the Justified Ancients of Mamu from the Illuminatus Trilogy. They would basically take large chunks of popular songs and mash them together, sample them heavily, and then they would add, quote, rudimentary beatbox rhythms overlaid with Drummond's raps of social commentary, esoteric metaphors, and mockery. <laughs> And mockery. And and mockery. Nothing screams feel good summer hit like social commentary, es- esoteric metaphors, and mockery. And mockery. Yep. The first uh, the first song that they put out was about media coverage of the AIDS epidemic that mashed up All You Need Is Love by the Beatles and Samantha Fox's Touch Me, I Want Your Body. Their first album was called What the F is Going On, but it was pulled from shelves because of legal action brought by ABBA for use of the song Dancing Queen. The two men went to Sweden hoping to meet the band <laughs> and iron out some sort of deal. 
But when I, that didn't I, happen, you um, stop, stop. I'm I, yes. okay. I just need to know when did I take the drugs? <laughs> when did I do the dope? When, because you just said in in without any i like hint of irony or uh jest, you use the word Illuminati, country music, ABBA mashup. Mm -hmm. I what? Is this a Mad Lib right. episode? Well, and then and and when, then even all that, you're overlooking the fact that they're like, well, we'll just go to Sweden and see if we can find Abba. <laughs> just try to run into them. I do. Yeah, that, I mean, like, like you just you like just start asking people like, hey, uh, where's old Fritchen Schnucker? What's his name? The high oh. singing guy. Well, yeah, him. Where's he at? Uh, you, well, I mean, aren't they? Pardon basically... me, my good man. Have you any idea where Abba is? I mean, <laughs> I don't know how big sweden is so maybe Big enough i mean well like here's the thing bjork is royalty in iceland right that's, mm -hmm. that's yeah. yeah so i assume that like people always know where bjork is so i feel like in sweden they probably always know where robin is and they always know where abba is you would think and yeah. they're from they're from you know they're from merry old england so they're like pip pip cheerio do you know where i'm pond abba so so is. sorry to our our listeners in England. I'm sorry, my brother. He ate a lot of paint chips when when. Yeah, yeah. See, he ate a lot of paint chips when he was growing up. He was dropped on his head several times, and I know for a fact, at least once in his life, he was hit upside the temple with a baseball bat. And why do you know that? Because I did the hitting. <laughs> because she hit me in the head with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> Hey, if you tell me where I'll be, is that be real spangly dangly do? Oh, day for you, governor. Hey, no, there's it's, the one, the nope, Terry Jones. Nope, nope, stop it. <laughs> okay. Sorry to the people of England and Britain. Okay. Uh, and the Swedes, because you, you came up with a Swedish name that didn't even exist. You could have literally said, where's Mr. Ikea? And it would have been less offensive. Than it would have been thought. closer. It, it would have offended me. I hate that place. <laughs> <sighs> so they went to Sweden, hoping to meet up with the band somehow and iron out a, a deal. But when that didn't happen, they burned most of the copies of their album in a field. <laughs> the ones I mean, that were left, they dumped on a ferry trip home into the North Sea. That's my favorite part of the story, hands down. Oh, they they couldn't. So that their album had been, been had been pulled because Apple brought legal action because they basically just like stole Dancing Queen and like rapped over it. <laughs> and um, and so they when they were unable to find them to work out a deal, they literally they they brought like all the copies of their album with them, and they just they set most of them on fire out in the field, and there were a few left, and they chunked them in the water on the ferry ride home. So they basically gave it a burial at sea and a funeral pyre. Kind of, yes, sort of. I mean, if you're going to take them out, take them out the Viking way. Yeah, it was sort of like a combination of like Graham Parsons and uh, a Viking. If Graham Parsons which, had been a Viking. Which, by the way, stay tuned, guys, because we'll be doing our series on Graham Parsons very soon. Cannot wait. That's a little wacko. Now, they justified Ancients of Moo Moo, or the Jams, eventually changed their name to the KLF and combined elements of rap, house, odd lyrical imagery, and other random weird things. As they worked on songs for their 1991 debut album, Caldy said he could hear the voice of Tammy Wynette in one of their tunes. Drummond said once that was spoken into existence, it's all he could hear, ludicrous as a collaboration between the two entities seemed. Mm. 
quote, within three calls, I was talking to Tammy Wynette. That's what he told the BBC documentary. She agreed to do it. So Drummond flew to Nashville. Richie picked him up at the airport and drove him out to First Lady Acres. When he walked in the house, he heard Tammy's voice call out, is that you, Bill? He said he was instantly in love. (laughs) When they went into the studio, though, Bill said, quote, she couldn't do it. She couldn't sing in time to the track. It was not going well, so Richie came in and directed Tammy through the song. Quote, and that worked, Drummond said. Well, sort of worked. Actually, it didn't work at all. Great as Tammy was, she had ne- <laughs> the greatest progression. It yeah. totally worked. Well, I mean, it like sort of worked. I think it kind it kind of worked. I mean, it, it like sucked on Ted. I it, failed. It, it, I'm sorry, I failed. Um, it's it sucked a giant ball of asses, and I, <laughs> I, I I'm a failure. Great as Tammy was, she'd never done a song like the one she was being presented with, and it was way out of her normal wheelhouse. Drummond got the best takes he could, took them back to England, and upon arriving home, arriving home, told Caudy, quote, I'm sorry, I've completely failed. The whole thing was a disaster. He said his engineer, though, quote, had some new gear in and started working with the vocals and the music tracks, quote, and within a couple of hours, it was sounding fantastic, he said. If you listen closely, you'll hear some subtle pedal steel, and you'll also hear a sample of the Jimi Hendrix classic Voodoo Child. You'll also catch a callback both to Tammy's biggest hit and the original name of the KLF with the line, they said, Tammy, stand by the jams. So here is the finished product, the weirdest collaboration in the history of music, the KLF and Tammy Wynette on the slap nuts bonkers track, Justified an Ancient. Let's go. 
All right, and we're back. All right, driving an ice cream van to the magical land of Moo Moo. I think okay. I underestimated the impact KLF had on music. Uh, okay, two things. During the break, okay. I was I was told that uh, Sweden is actually very large, which I yes. I didn't know. I don't. I own a globe, but it's purely for decorative purposes. Uh, so I never Mine actually like look at it. See, Will wants that. Will oh, wants like uh, the fancy globe bar. We'll get yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But also, number one, this was that the the song we just played. The posting of that on YouTube was literally a year ago oh wow like Hmm. it it was it was posted a year ago and that's really impressive but like there are almost three thousand comments on the one video the video itself is bananas but i like it it's weird and wonderful it's just everything that a song should be it's a it's a beautiful song i really enjoy it now, that song was a worldwide smash, hitting number one in 18 countries. It got to number 13 on the U.S. Billboard pop charts and gave Wynette the last huge hit of her career. If you watch the video, you'll see Tammy presented as a queen, but you'll also notice that she looked much older than her years. She was not 50 at the time of that video, LD. You said you were watching that while that was playing. Yes. And if I'd asked you how old she was in that video, what would you have guessed? Uh, probably about 52, 53. See, I, I, to me, she looks even older than that. Um, mm. but she's not even 50 at the time. You'll mm. notice that she looks very frail. Drummond said it was clear that she was struggling physically, but that she was a trooper and hung in there and did everything that was asked of her. Right around the same time, Tammy unwittingly got thrown into the middle of a political debate. Just after the Super Bowl in 1992, there was a special edition of 60 Minutes in which then-Democratic presidential candidate Bill Clinton and his wife Hillary would be interviewed specifically about allegations of his marital infidelity. During the interview, Hillary Clinton famously said, quote, you know, I'm not sitting here, some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. I'm sitting here because I love him and I respect him and I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him. Tammy was not happy. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Tammy was not happy with that name drop. Quote, why are they dragging me into this? She asked. She, she didn't oh. like, she didn't buy him the cigars. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and if, if you guys don't remember the significance of Bill Clinton and a cigar, I suggest you go ask your mom and dad or you Google it because uh, that ain't where you get this lesson skill. Hey. For the time, Monica Lewinsky took a lot of shit. And she did. Absolutely. And she she took it like a champ. And the interesting is now I'm kind of on her side now. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been eating clam chowder? (laughs) According to a Politico story from 2016, George Ritchie told USA Today, quote, Tammy's madder than hell. Tammy released an open letter to the press in which she said, quote, I believe that you have offended every person who has made it on their own with no one to take them to the White House. So burn. Ouch. Stand toe-to-toe with me. I can assure you, in spite of your education, you will find me to be just as bright. She also challenged anyone to show her, quote, where in the song it says a woman should be a doormat. Hillary Clinton apologized multiple times, saying, quote, I didn't mean to hurt Tammy Wynette as a person. She also said she was, in fact, a country music fan. Wynette apparently accepted the apology as she ultimately performed at a Bill Clinton fundraiser. Wow. Uh, she also played in front of President Jimmy Carter, and then 
very regrettably, she played at an event for segregationist Alabama Governor George Wallace. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, but okay, so Clinton, Carter, and George Wallace, you hear those and you assume that Tammy was a Democrat. However, she also played in front of three Republican presidents, including Ronald Reagan. In 1982, she played at a White House barbecue. And that day, per a friend, uh, and her hairdresser, Jan Smith, she was wearing, quote, a red antebellum gown with a hoop skirt, which was just gorgeous. Smith flew the dress in for the event and said, quote, I had to buy it a ticket and sit it next to me. Wait, wait, wait. Because some of our listeners might be on the younger side. The word antebellum might be uh, not exactly in their lexicon. Do you care to tell them what antebellum is? Well, it means be- is before the war, correct? But and I you, love that you, you just you're, you're southern and you said the war and and just <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I think if you if you look up antebellum, I think the ne- definition is quote before the war. It usually specifically refers to the Civil War. Yes, specifically the Civil War. So this is uh, like an old timey, eighteen hundreds era hoop, you know, like hoop dress. Like, or, or as we like to call it now, canceled. <laughs> right, probably. Yeah. Um, at the event, though, when, when Tammy was wearing this, this dress that her, her friend had to buy a ticket on an airplane for, at the event, though, Smith noticed that Tammy was barefoot for the performance. When she performed Stand By Your Man, she walked over to the Gipper and sat in his lap, something she often did in concert. Quote, I didn't know it wasn't proper protocol. <laughs> He certainly didn't say anything. <laughs> Reagan later said the performance gave him goosebumps. Well, in 1983. I mean, I mean the thing is, if you'd like to know about Nancy's history, also, you can Google it. Right. In 1983, she played at a catfish dinner in Jackson, Mississippi for Reagan. The president gave Tammy a kiss at that event, a photo of which ended up on the cover of the globe. Oh, dear. Quote, Ronald Reagan definitely had a thing for Tammy, Smith said. After it was over, Tammy said to me, oh, my God, Jan, that was so embarrassing. He swabbed my tonsils. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gross. Well, Nancy Reagan got real out of joint about it, she said. The point, though, is that you can't read anything into Tammy's politics or her beliefs based on who she played for, especially as it relates to George Wallace. Quote. She didn't know anything about what was going on in the world. She wasn't interested. It wasn't that she was stupid. She just didn't care, said friend Joan Dew. So about all she knew, really, was that she was playing for the president or for the governor, and that's it. She literally knew nothing about these people. So so especially, particularly in the case where she played a, a show for George Wallace, she had no idea that he was a segregationist. She just, he was the governor. You know, hey, you want to go play for the governor? Sure. Want to play for Clinton, that, you know, whose wife just insulted you? Why not? Want to play for Reagan? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, she just, that people invited her to play. She went and played. So she, she literally had no idea who these people were or, or what they stood for. Now, let's take one more fun musical break before we get to the inevitable sad end that we know is coming. In 1993, Tammy teamed up with two of her very best and longest lasting friends in Dolly Parton and Loretta Lynn. Dolly had wanted the three to collaborate on an album for a long time and had little trouble talking them into it. Tammy and Loretta apparently routinely went on vacations together, and all three were obviously mold breakers in country music in terms of blowing up the idea of the typical, quote, girl singer. 
the album that they did would be called Honky Tonk Angels and would feature the three covering a lot of country classics. One of those was the standard Silver Threads and Golden Needles, their version of which would be nominated for a Grammy for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals. It's a fun song. Their version is great. So why don't we hear it now? This is the trio of Dolly, Tammy, and Loretta with Silver Threads and Golden Needles. I don't want your lonely mansion with a tear in every room. Oh, I want to love you, promised beneath the halo moon. But you think I should be happy with your money and your name and hide myself in sorrow while you play your cheating game. Still I mean, favorite you of yours, I know, uh, LD. I mean, all three of those ladies. Yes. No, actually, and funny enough, this uh, the homework that we did will reflect this work. I, I really like that. Love all three of them. Uh, glad they, they uh, got together and did that album. Uh, that album, by the way, was certified gold in both the United States and Canada. Unrelated, here are two quick fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Tammy made an appearance on Married with Children in the mid-1990s. Did she? Oh, my she? goodness. And... She was the original voice of Hank Hill's mother on King of the Hill. So, so weird. Second straight person I've done a series on was a character on King of the Hill. Yes. And if you listen to Basic, we actually just released uh, the version of the episode about Mike Judge. Okay. So, who, you know, created King of the Hill, who's a, King- a, who's a freaking comedy genius. Yes. So go listen to, after you're done listening to Rock and Roll Heaven, go over and check Basic out. It's pretty darn good. And you'll hear yes. a very familiar name at the end. Yeah. I've never listened to it, but I'm sure they do a hell of a job. Unfortunately, a... Tammy's. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, unfortunately, Tammy's health continued to have a steep decline. By her estimation, in her life, she underwent over 30 surgeries. Oh, jeez. Most to deal with stomach and abdominal issues, which caused her intense pain and led to an ever-increasing dependence on painkillers. In late 1993, when she should have been basking in the success of the Honky Tonk Angels album, Tammy was rushed to the hospital in desperate pain. It was discovered that she was suffering from a bile duct infection that threatened to poison her entire body. Oh, God. Is that kind of like septic shock? Perhaps. Yeah, anything that, that, that... that essentially poisons your system. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it would be very similar. Just yeah. releasing bile into your body. That sounds very ugh, unpleasant. Yeah. Well, that kind of sounds sort of like what uh, Heather, that would happen to Heather O'Rourke. Mm. But she was sort of, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Poor thing. Um, Richie said that he was told she had a 10% chance of survival and she was placed on a ventilator and was in a coma. During those grim times, she had a pair of visitors in George Jones and his new wife. The wild man had mostly cleaned up his act by this time. The wild man had mostly cleaned up his act by this time. And with the prognosis of his former wife being very grim, he came to perhaps see her one last time. When she did recover and come out of her coma, Tammy asked if George had come to see her and was told yes. She said that she'd had a dream to that effect, one that pointed her toward recording with him again. She also said she was never afraid or in pain while in a coma and that she believed it was, quote, God's way of telling me death ain't no big deal. She released the album Without Walls in 1994, which had her duetting with the likes of Sting, Elton John, and Lyle Lovett. Then in 1995, she and Jones did release the album One, which we'll hear a song from in just a bit. The two also mounted a tour behind the record, despite Tammy's deteriorating health. Evelyn Schreiber, a music manager and PR person, said she begged Tammy's family to not let her go on the road, fearful that she would not survive. She recounted seeing Tammy on her bus on oxygen with IVs plugged into her arm. When it was showtime, she literally unplugged herself, got dressed, went out and did the show, then came back in and plugged herself back into those IVs. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. She, in fact, was back on the road two days after leaving the hospital with a bile duct infection that nearly killed her. I want to tell you a quick story because it plays into another one. On the road, Tammy had a habit when it was about bedtime. She would start to play with her rings. She wore a lot of rings. She would fidget with them and would eventually start to take them off one by one, letting them plop onto a table, and she would go to bed then. Now, according to Jimmy McDonough's book, Tammy Wynette, Tragic Country Queen, Tammy was booked to play at the opening of the, is it Chinook Winds Casino? I, is that how you say that? I want to say yes, but okay. if, if Where is not, it? we're sorry. It's uh, it's in Oregon. Huh. Uh, but she was booked to play the, 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 uh, the grand opening of this big casino. She was dealing with severe pain and was using a number of painkillers, including a powerful synthetic opiate called Dilaudid. Sometimes, and this this is things that have been claimed by family members, a plane would be dispatched to pick up her narcotics. Sometimes they would be FedExed in. If she took too much or took them too close to the start of the show, she would be, quote, zonked out during her performances. Her, Her band and crew had a code phrase to describe those nights that being quote virginia is in the house that that of course virginia was her actual first name backup singer karen slose exclaimed explained quote we'd always say is virginia doing the show or is tammy 
if it was a quote Virginia show, she would be ready to take up the slack and sing more. Virginia was definitely in the house at the Chinook opening night performance. She was singing very slowly, almost mumbling her words. She was actually nodding off in between songs with band members having to nudge her back into consciousness so that she could start singing the next song. Tammy had devised a set of hand signals to flash to her band and backup singers behind her back when she was in trouble. A fist meant that she was not going to hit the high F note at the end of Stand By Your Man. An open palm indicated that whatever song uh, they were performing needed to end quickly. Unfortunately, she gave a different hand signal that night. Tammy Wynette, the first lady of country, an elegant, strong woman who sang for five presidents, a trailblazer, and an absolute tower of strength who wrote and sang dozens of all-time country classics in front of a sold-out crowd on stage, started to fidget with her rings in front of that audience while she was singing her signature song, Stand By Her Man. As her band and backup singers tried to cover for her, she stopped singing altogether and plopped down on the stool. She fidgeted with her rings and let them fall off one at a time and went to sleep in the middle of the song. Wow. With Tammy completely out of it and, and literally slumped over asleep on stage, the curtain came down to bring the embarrassing spectacle to an end. Quote, it was pitiful, said one member of her band. Oof. So... The, her routine that she had on the bus when she'd fidget with her rings and start plopping them down on the table, she started doing that and she fell asleep in the middle of Stand By Your Man. Jeez. That's how out of it she was. She was helped off stage and doubled up in pain when she got to her bus. Can you imagine the the being show, a can you imagine being a person watching that show, not even like knowing if she's alive or dead? Because yeah, if the curtain and, comes in, like she just passed out on stage and then the camera the curtain comes down and like that's it that's all yep, you none. know that's all you know and imagine how how jarring have you ever been to a show where anything like that happened i have not no, um never. okay sort of but not really I, I i worked as a costumer for universal studios and we were doing a show it was spider-man rocks i think it was called this was so so many years ago uh but we were working a show and in that show of course they had spider-man who would basically get on a little harness and fly around the theater above people's heads and it was oh that was amazing well he it was the last show and on one of the last passes he decided to get real cute and, and bounced off the ceiling and slammed into a gate and ripped his uh this is getting graphic so skip ahead like 10 seconds if you're not okay with like graphic injury explanation but basically the way he hit the gate it was a chain link fence and the way he hit it he caught his kneecap under Oof. one of the chain link fences oh. and tore his entire knee off That's oh yikes oh, so like Lord. he had the the knee plate was like everything was like that was supposed to be inside of his body was now outside oh, of his body God. so he made it he jogged like two times and then fell through the trap door oh, and my then Lord. and so like it's because you know it's a family show so like they brought the green goblin out to try to like distract people while the the swing got into the spider-man costume so yeah. like, they pulled up the the green goblin picked up the stage manager and started dancing with them and it was super awkward so you could tell like something was going on because we went from like a high energy you know, I need a hero. And then there, he's like bouncing everywhere. And all of a sudden, like he falls through a trap door. And now the green goblin is 
dancing with our stage manager. So clearly like something happened. And then they brought the right. new, like after about like 10 minutes, they brought the new Spider-Man in and finished the show. So that was Good it. Grief. But like, I think people had an idea of something that happened, but I, you know, I saw what happened and it was one of those things that it was so bad that the, the thing was white. You know how, when you cut yourself and it's white, it's like yeah. before the blood rushes through it. That's when I saw it. Oh, so, uh, yeah. So that's, that was my nightmare performance story. I saw, I saw a, um, very similar, uh, I was covering a track meet once and a guy was running, uh, uh, God, the hundred, maybe it was, it was, it was a sprint and he was about halfway through it and he, it looked like he was pulling the person all of a sudden he just tumbled and was screaming. And when they got to him, his kneecap was up on his shin. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. But see, it's so funny because like that, that kind of stuff for some reason doesn't bother me, but if you do anything with teeth or nails, I will, I will freak out. That's my trigger tooth and nails and people, I, 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 I'm sorry, but you're a monster. If you dry swallow pills, (laughs) it's just, please don't it's do weird. that yeah it's, it's weird stop it and then of course not not too far from where i'm sitting right now in greenville south carolina once upon a time that's where the um the lighting guy for kiss fell off the top of the stage and died and people thought it was part of the part of the act oh my gosh just, yeah. i mean i think we'll have to do like a, a slap nuts on people that died in front of their audience on, because on horrific knee injuries <laughs> yeah exactly what yes. a slap nuts yes <laughs> on, on crippling knee injuries <laughs> but anyway so after that she was helped off the stage doubled up in pain when she got to her bus the second show the next night was canceled and similar scenes played out in other shows that she was playing around that time begging the question why didn't she come off the road well as we alluded to at the outset there are two versions of every story with tammy One is that touring and playing is all she really knew and what she really loved. The other, basically, is that she was made to stay on the road by Richie. Again, these are all things he denied and that Tammy never publicly stated herself, but Tammy's daughter, Georgette, said that Richie, quote, tried very hard to separate mom from her family and friends so he could be the only person she could turn to. I think she felt like she had no choice and it was too difficult to fight. Georgette also claimed that she believed for years that her dad, George Jones, did not pay court-mandated child support to her mother. She said she later found out that Richie was siphoning that money off. Oh, God. She also said Richie manipulated her mother with drugs. She said in her own book, quote, there are some people who witnessed mom saying she didn't want any pain medication to not give her anymore, and Richie would continue to inject her anyway. There were times when she did want it because she was in pain and he refused to give it to her. Tammy's uh, drummer, Charlie Abden, said, quote, I think she knew Richie used her a bit. I mean, we all used her a little bit. I mean, I was there to make a living. I wish Tammy would have just quit. She really should have. It's a sad story. Georgette confirmed that her mother confessed to her that her kidnapping episode was a lie to cover up Richie having beaten her. Her mother's bankruptcy only came partially from a failed savings and loan, Georgette said. Richie had apparently invested in shopping centers that went belly up. And in general, he kept most of the financial dealings from Tammy, even though she was the primary breadwinner. She said her mother didn't trust Richie in that respect, but that he kept things hidden from her. Even when she suggested downsizing their lives a bit and they sold First Lady Acres, he bought a larger home in the same neighborhood one that had previously belonged to Hank Williams. 
She claimed in an interview that the threats and harassment her mother received in the 70s actually carried on until Richie proposed to her and promised to care for and protect her. Once she accepted, the threats and other threatening incidents stopped. Quote, I don't believe in coincidence. The second they got married, all that stopped, Georgette said. As for why her mom didn't just leave Richie, Georgette said that he threatened her by saying he would write a tell-all book about her, quote, being an effing druggie and a whore if she left him. Her sisters make similar claims, painting a picture that their mother was essentially trapped. On April 6th, 1998, Tammy and Richie reportedly spent most of the day sleeping on a couch in their home. He said that he woke up at about 7 p.m. and immediately checked on his wife. His first thought was that she was fine. Then he wasn't sure. He said he touched her, quote, I thought she was gone. Tammy Wynette was finally out of pain. She was pronounced dead at the scene, and she was only 55 years old. Jeez. Her public memorial service carried live on CNN was held at the Ryman Auditorium. Thousands of fans and friends attended, and there were performances by her friends Dolly Parton, Randy Travis, the Oak Ridge Boys, Lori Morgan, and many others. Loretta Lynn was set to perform, but she was so distraught over the loss of her lifelong friend, she could not bring herself to attend. And this is going to break your, this is going to break your heart, LD. Dolly Parton was also invited to play at the private family funeral service, but she was so upset, she got halfway through one song and could not continue. (sighs) Yeah. That that's they 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 were like sisters. They were they were the, the three of those Loretta, Dolly, and, and Tammy were were like sisters. And and Loretta couldn't even go to the the, the public um, memorial service. And Dolly made it through halfway through a song at the actual funeral. And she couldn't even she couldn't go on. As for Tammy's legacy, she sold over thirty million records in her life. She has been cited as an influence by a lengthy list of singers, including Trisha Yearwood, Cheryl Crow, Emmylou Harris, Roseanne Cash. Allison Moore, Tanya Tucker, Martina McBride, Melissa Etheridge, and the list goes on and on and on. Her music stretched beyond the typical realm of country fans. For example, several of her songs were featured in the Jack Nicholson movie, Five Easy Pieces, which we uh, mentioned a few episodes back. She had admirers as eclectic as Wendy O. Williams, the KLF, the Proclaimers, and Elvis Costello. The Proclaimers? The Proclaimers. Yeah, the Proclaimers. There's one documentary you can find uh, on Tammy's life there's there's a lengthy interview with the proclaimers I mean huh. honestly you know they're they're considered in America to be a one-hit wonder but I listened to their album and it's amazing yeah they're good I'll, you know what I have a Chip Flippo story to tell you I'm going to tell you a proclaimer song at the, the, the end too okay. friends remembered her as very giving very gracious and very loving despite all she dealt with in a relatively short life Musically, it is pretty well accepted that almost no vocalist in the history of popular music was ever able to evoke as much emotion purely with the sound of their voice as Tammy Wynette. Beverly Keel, a music journalist and professor, said on CMT's Inside Fame that not long after her funeral, though, people started asking questions and that rumors started floating around. Tammy's daughters wondered about her actual time of death, why the medical examiner was not called to the scene, and whether or not prescription drugs played a role in her death. They hired an investigator who found evidence that led them to begin publicly requesting an autopsy months after her her death and burial. Richie refused, saying that would have gone against Tammy's wishes. But when they filed a $50 million wrongful death lawsuit against him, he relented. 
He held a press conference where he announced that he was saddened to have Tammy's legacy tarnished, quote, by this fiasco. The autopsy ruled that the cause of death was heart failure, but could not determine whether the drugs had played a role or not. There was then an argument more than 12 years after her death when her stage name, Tammy Wynette, was taken off her gravestone and replaced with Virginia Richardson, which was her legal married name at the time of her death. This happened not long after George Ritchie passed away in 2010 at the age of 74, a passing that was in itself a bit odd since his death was not publicly announced until three weeks after it happened. Huh. And he was a, a songwriter and had been married to Tammy when it was fairly well known. So that, that was an oddity. After a two-year campaign, Tammy's daughters were successful in having it changed back to Tammy Wynette, with daughter Jackie saying that was the name that her mother had made for herself. Bob Orman, the, the country music writer and historian, said, quote, it was very sad to watch her deteriorate. She was a great lady. Shriver said, quote, Tammy deserved better than she got in life, and she deserved better than she got in death. Unfortunately, we don't have a happy ending to share with you. I told you throughout this that Tammy's life often seemed like a country song. And oftentimes, those have sad endings. And I'm done. Uh, yeah, we're in. Laugh a minute right there. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, I've tried not to end all my, as you've noticed, my, my, the last couple of series I've done, not to end on a bummer, but I just, I didn't see any way around it. There's, there was what, there wasn't anything, there's, there's, there wasn't anything pleasant to, t to tell you at the very end no because her life was a country song yeah it really was. it was i mean here's the thing she had the talent to back up everything she literally earned that moniker she to this day has name brand recognition she's awesome and it's she was a, and she was a total that, boss too yeah clearly I mean, she she took control of her own career. She wrote her own songs, you, you know, and quote, girl singers didn't do that in the 1960s. That just didn't happen. She knocked down like her and Dolly and Loretta and a few others, like knocked down doors and, 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 and you know, kind of dragged that whole industry <laughs> forward a few decades. Yeah. In a, but in you, a I'm sorry, you were making a point, though. But in a and she did this in a predominantly male dominated. Very much so field she was a pioneer like she you know i think it was very befitting for you to ask us what our mount rushmore of country music women of country music was because she back absolutely, in part one correct yeah, right. yeah she absolutely nails that and yeah it's scary to think that part one was only like four weeks ago when when we just finished michael jackson i still right I'm still shaking that off. But um, just any thoughts uh, on this series? Uh, not not a super long one, but it's just you know there there just wasn't there there just wasn't a whole lot of, there just wasn't a lot of sunshine. Well, I um, think. Sir, no, I mean I don't want to paint this picture that she lived this glum, bleak life. I mean she she enjoyed life and she liked shopping and she had friends that she loved and family and stuff. But it's just there were just so many bad things that happened to her along the way and a few of them self-inflicted uh, admittedly a couple of the marriages where she later said like yeah i didn't even really like him that much and, and things like that but then other things that were that she that she should not have had to to put up with i also think that you could see at, at age 11 what kind of a strong individual she was where she was like 
well, you, you know, whoever was in charge was like, well, you got a choice. You can either, you know, stay in the kitchen and cook or you go out in the fields and you pick cotton. And she's like, see you outside, you know, <laughs> like that, that says a lot about a person who's more willing to, to do that literal backbreaking work to get ahead. And she was literally a boss. <laughs> she, yeah. she was doing things that other people weren't doing. And she's, you know, what, what can you say about somebody like Tammy Wynette? Yeah. Will, any thoughts? Uh, first of all, I, I think I will forever in my head have that image of her sitting on stage with the rings coming off one by one, and then she just kind of drifts off. There's something about that image that's just so haunting. I yeah. mean, oh, God, that, that's going to stick with me for sure. Um, but to your point that, you know, you made about the industry, you know, look at, look at the stars that came decades later, you know, you had, you know, Sarah Evans, Faith Hill, Shania Twain, you know, all those big women, a country later, they, it's, I think because of people like Tammy Wynette, she broke it out and made that possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And God, uh, there's just, you listened to a lot of the songs. We played a, cu a couple of upbeat ones, but most of hers were not. No, there, there's almost a, a, a literal tear that you can hear in her voice yeah. yeah it's very visceral it's yeah so uh, also i think the word honky tonk is not used nearly enough i agree there's just More there's something less tonkin there's there's just <laughs> something that when you say uh, a honky tonk legend that you're like i know exactly what kind of dress she's wearing right now right and it will blind you if she stands in the sun if she's standing in the sun right it will actually blind you it'll be you visible from be space yes they can see it from Skylab or whatever. Like there um, are there are shoulder pads involved. There are, and I noticed when I when I you know listened to our last episode, when you listen to "Stand by Your Man," did anybody more effectively go from quiet to really loud? No, I actually make a point of talking about that because you gave us homework. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get the homework. So I told you there are two two quick things I wanted to tell you. Okay, um, first of all, regarding the Proclaimers, their album is what "Sunshine on the Lake" or something. Was that their album that 500 Miles was on? So it was Sunshine on Lake. Okay. So I was, um, when that when that song got popular, I think it was moved, used in like Benny and June or something, maybe? Yes, it was. And that it became a hit in America in about 91 or 92-ish. I remember I was sitting there watching MTV and that video was on and I was about halfway asleep. And, you know, at the end of the video, it would pop up, you know, the Proclaimers, I'm going to be 500 Miles, Sunshine on Lake, and, and the record company, then the, you know, the, the, the thing at the bottom of the in the lower left hand corner of the screen or whatever right and in my half a state sleep i swear to you i thought that i read the name of the album was shitting on lettuce <laughs> <laughs> and, and the next day i'm like hey to, to, to some friend of mine i'm like did you know the proclaimers album is called shitting on lettuce they're like what sounds like a frank I like, yeah, a scratch I, yeah I saw it on, I saw it on mtv <laughs> last night <laughs> Shitting on lettuce. Yes. Uh, okay. And then the quick story about Chet Flippo. Um, and and I, this is not like a proud moment, but <laughs> let's go and tell you. All, go so all good was, stories. All good stories that come from my brother start with this isn't a very proud moment. It's not a proud moment for me. So Chet Flippo was this incredibly well respected music writer. I think he wrote for Rolling Stone and uh, he was, you know, he was a country music authority historian. And he was you know, a great writer, a great journalist. And I think he, he was writing for CMT in early, mid-2000s when I had, as I told you uh, on a, I think during the Michael Jackson series, 
when I had a bad habit of having a beverage and logging on to certain message boards under the nomenclature, Le Deacon. Yeah, <laughs> yes, continue. I got banned from the CMT. <laughs> nice. I got banned from the CMT.com uh, um, like message boards or whatever, because I would just go on there and say the most ridiculous off the wall things and just, some of them I would just savage people and just be profane and awful. And sometimes I would just I would I would I would post things that had nothing to do with anything. Where I, you know, I would say things like just you know, did did you know the Proclaimers had an album called Shitting on Lettuce, <laughs> or just or whatever <laughs> that just as an example under and the moniker Lil Deacon and uh, under the moniker Lil Deacon, and at some point. Chet Flip wrote a column about horrible people on their message boards. <laughs> and they made him want to wanted to made it made them want to like uh, bathe in whiskey and set it on fire because they were so vile. And I was like, Chet's writing about me. <laughs> so well, I, hope think you're, I, I hope actually you're prompted a column from the great uh, Chet Flippo. Hope you're proud well of done. yourself. Yeah. So anyway, on that note, that does conclude this uh, episode and series, aside from the fact that when I take the lead on episodes, I like to have little fun rankings, lists, debates, what have you at the end of episodes. In part one of this, when we did our personal Mount Rushmore's of female country artists, and then we did our favorite duets in the last uh, album, because on the last show, because George and Tammy, of course, did a, a lot of duet albums. Uh, this one's pretty easy and shouldn't take very long. I just want to hear your top five Tammy Wynette songs, not named Stand By Your Man, because I think that would be number one for everybody, probably, or at least very high on everybody's list. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that's all we're going to do on this one. Top five non-Stand By Your Man Tammy Wynette songs. Uh, Will, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um, and again, I, I do have to put Golden Ring as my number five just because of the memories of the chalet. So that definitely makes okay. the list. One that... I don't want to say surprised me, but sort of came back during the series to me was uh, Apartment 9. Yeah. That's a great song. It is a terrific song. I agree with you on that 100%. And, and I couldn't really like get away from that one. It was, it's just, there's something about it that I just really enjoy. Um, next up, My Elusive Dreams at number three. Yep. That's, a, that, that's a good one. The, um, the uh, duet with uh, David Houston. Correct. Yes. And I think I'm going to go, I, I've got my number one picked. So, if I had to throw something else in there, I, I think I'm gonna go with I don't want to play house. Yeah, that that's a good one. I mean, that's one that heart, sticks out in my heart wrenching. It's but just yeah. yeah, destroying. But and then number one, uh, it, it, your good girl's gonna go bad. That's just a fun song. Yeah, I enjoy is. that one. So um, that's gonna be my top five. Okay, uh, LD, what you got? Okay, uh, I actually did the assignment prior to recording this and uh just as a note i don't have any notes because i'm working four different jobs so i don't have time to think about my underwear much less uh writing extensive reasons why i love tammy wynette so song we're gonna hold on is i and this is in no particular order i never do mine in any particular order but uh we're gonna hold on is a great one That's a, that is a terrific i love the way their 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 voices blend on that one yeah uh, and I one. love, I love when they hold that. We're gonna hope. Do, 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 do. Oh, I mean, it's just uh, everything. But it's just infectious and an oddly fun one from <laughs> from her because didn't get a lot of those. But yeah, and then my next one is I still believe in fairy tales. 
Okay. And I wanted to point out that that was the song that was really reminiscent of Stand By Your Man because it would do like that, like the the what you were talking about, how she would go from quiet to loud, you know? It, and that was mm -hmm. that was kind of reminiscent of that. But I really like the the back music where it kind of sounds like a lullaby and it, it's just it's, it's just a great song uh kids say the darndest things <laughs> okay another one that's uh, another good one because it's like you hear a kid talking about divorce and you're like where did the kid hear this they say the darndest things so i like that one and then uh silver thread and gold needles like that that's a great yes, one and then my number one is that's the way it could have been. And you get Dolly, Loretta, and Tammy in that song. That's a, yeah, so that's you really that's, hard, that's a pretty hard trio yeah. debate there. It really is. Like I there I couldn't uh I guess Linda Ronstadt would be the only one that you could add to, which Dolly actually did a trio, uh, another trio song. Yes, she did. I was gonna say she was part of another all-female trio with um with she and uh, Amy Lou Harris. Yes, and they did to know him is to love him, which is one of mm -hmm. my favorite oh, songs right. by them. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's my top five. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give. I'm sorry, I'm giving an honorable mention to Justified and Ancient. <laughs> okay, it's so bonkers and dumb, but God, I just love that. Honorable mention's fair. That's that's one of those songs that you listen to, and like the first, you had to listen to it like a, a hundred times to understand what it's like. Because I mean, you heard it the first fifty times, you're like, I still don't know what the hell this is. What are they doing? <laughs> Moo Moo Land and ice cream bands and what? So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm actually wanting to give that one a, a shout out for an honorable mention. Um, fifth place, I, 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 a lot of these you, you guys have already touched on. I've got your good girl's gonna go bad. Um, that's a kind of a, a spunky tune from her. It's um, spry, it's uh, jaunty, it's, um, are there any other words? It's a fun one, sprightly. Sprightly, spirited. So I, I really like that one. I have, I don't want to play house uh, at number four. That is just so emotionally gutting. It's, yeah, it's just so you know, your, your Your children have, have seen, you know, you, you know their, their parents arguing and, you know, that's what playing house is like. I don't want to do it. Like I like you. That just the she had no she had no qualms whatsoever about going for the emotional kill shot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tammy Accurate. would absolutely put a flaming arrow right into the into the heart of uh, of of things like that. It, it was she would do it without shame, and she shouldn't have because it just it, it's one of those that it's like I don't know why I love this because it's so maudlin and sad, but God, I just love it, and it's it's a fantastic song. At number three, I actually had apartment number nine. I like you will had kind of for, had kind of forgotten about that one, and yeah. that is just such an emotional uh, gut punch. A lot of her songs are, but it's, it's almost haunting. I, I would I would I would think that yeah. that would fall into the haunting category. The, just the melody and and the, the the way she sings it and the emotion that she packs into it. It just it, it it's hard to get away from it once you once you hear it. True, uh, I think. Uh, and my top two are both duets that she did with uh, George. I've got Golden Ring at number two, and at number one, I've got We're Gonna Hold On. Uh, that that's just, oh, nice. I, I lo I've always loved that song. I love the way their voices blend. I love the way they they stretch that whole you know no doubt and everything it's just it's a it's a terrific song it's a it's a toe tapper is that another sprightly toe tapper jaunty yeah. spirited forfeit nougat thank you <laughs> thank you yep so that's my list all right i think it's a good list i think both lists are 
commendable. I haven't used the word commendable today, and I feel like it's pardon me, Chad. Have you seen the Check that one off? List. Nope, 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 nope. Before nope, before you start and yeah. piss off our our across the pond listeners, I'm gonna stop you right there. Have you have you crumpets here? And tea, tea <sighs> crumpets. Good, good, cheerio. Put a day for you, got Ah, yeah. uh, there it is. All right. So, <laughs> if you think we're doing a great Don't job, the queen. and uh, you don't live in England because you guys are clearly not going to give us any money after what my brother just did, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT, our Instagram, rock and roll heaven LT, Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. You can check out our TikTok at rock and roll heaven pod. Guys, uh, hop over there, check us out. We're, we're trying to get up to, I think, a thousand followers because if we do then we could do things like go live so if we're at a show or we just want to drop in and just talk to you guys play some music whatever we can do that but we actually have to have at least a thousand subscribers over on tiktok so and we have 12 yeah no we've got more than that we've got like we're getting there like 27 we're doing good okay jesus and uh, you can also email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. Please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And uh, just as a side note, guys, we are still in the heat of auditioning for American Idol. So if you guys know any talented singers between the ages of 15 and 28, please have them email me at lindley.erlich at americanidol.com. That's L-Y-N-L-Y dot E-H-R-L-I-C-H at americanidol.com. And I'll get them set up with an audition. Okay? Yeah. And uh, hook up with us on both Facebook and TikTok. Yeah, as you can see, my brother is... Oh, and DigiFriends. I think we're on that now. Discord? DigiFriends? Not not yet. No, just ignore him. Ignore him. Okay, guys, so uh, I want to thank my brother for doing such an amazing job on Tammy Wynette. Uh, I know it seems like such a sudden ending, too, but like it it was depressing, but it was really well done. So thank you so much for that tea. Thank you, Kylie. Um, Mr. Hickey, do you have anything uh-huh. to say to our audience? Uh, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one, where I think we go back to Michael Jackson. Don't we? Uh, we, we might. I don't know. Okay. It's, I, we have to figure out a time to sit down and actually finish watching the documentary Got before it. we can actually talk about the documentary. <laughs> so the people going through Michael Jackson withdrawal. Yeah, it's coming, guys. We'll get you a little bit. We're just trying to wean you off before we just turn the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast into the Michael Jackson podcast, where we start all over from the beginning. But this yeah, time- the first twenty one are free. Then you got to start paying. <laughs> twenty one. That's it. Then then you got to. That's pay. it. That's it. All right. Well, TJ, how do you care to wrap this episode up? I'm in radio. I am in radio. So, bye, everybody. No, that was so weird that you did that because we were singing that we were earlier singing today. That earlier today. It got stuck in my head. I just did it because it was it was British and whatnot. Oh, bye, that's bye. so funny. Okay. Well, how are you going to end this episode? So uh, we are going to sign off from Rock and Roll Heaven with one more song from uh, Tammy Wynette and George Jones. This is from her final album and their last duet project. We're going to hear the song one. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for checking the series out. Check us out when we begin our series on Lane Staley, which will be helmed by my wonderful husband, Mr. Will the Thrill. And we love you all, and we will see you guys next week. So here is one by Tammy Wynette and George Jones. Love you all. See you next time.
If you want to hear a love song I could sing one If you want to feel the fire We could build one If you need to catch a rainbow could chase one If you want to be together We could be
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.